invite you to this episode of Good Theology, a podcast ministry to grow God's kingdom of faith, hope, and love. We cannot wait for someone else to do later what God has already called us to do here and now. To learn more, visit us online at goodtheology.life. Grace and peace to you, friends of Good Theology. Uh, before we get started, just my normal plug to ask you to you know rate us five stars on iTunes uh, podcasts, on Google Play, on all of that kind of stuff. Cool. Um, so before we get started, since it is Halloween at the publication of, or broadcast of this podcast, I thought it would be kind of interesting for us to talk about, um, rather than answering a question, rather uh, actually to talk about Halloween, since today is Halloween. And what most people don't know is that Halloween is actually part of All Hallowtide. All Hallowtide is a three-day Christian holiday. Now, yes, Halloween also has its roots in um, neo-pagan and pagan and and, uh, druid and and historic um, nature-based pagan religions, but... For Christians, what most Christians don't know is that Halloween is part of All Hallow Tide, which is December, which is uh, the 31st, the 1st, and the 2nd. Um, it's Halloween or All Hallows Eve, and then there's All Saints Day, uh, and then there's All Souls Day, which is November 2nd. And the three days make up something called a tritium. And a tritium is something that Christians actually we have a couple of them. One of them is All Hallows Tide, and the other one is the Tritium of Easter. It's Easter Tide, right? Where we've got uh, Good Friday, uh, Holy Saturday, and um, the Vigil of Easter and Easter Sunday, where essentially one holiday spans multiple days. Uh, and it's not like it's not like Twelve Days of Christmas or or something else which has multiple days to it um uh we think of like hanukkah for example hanukkah having eight days uh, it's not like that what it it's actually more akin to is one holiday that spans those days um as one holy moment and so the holy moment for all hollow tide is in the same way that easter is devoted to uh jesus and his resurrection his crucifixion and resurrection all Hallow Tide is devoted to the saints, the people, and the martyrs, all of the people who have died, and um, for the church, died for their faith, and also for all of us, all of us who are members of the body of Christ. Um, it's the proverbial pendulum swing on the opposite side of Easter. That while Easter is all about Christ, um, All Hallow Tide is about us people for Christ um, and our lives for Christ and giving our life for Christ. So, uh, and to a certain extent that, you know, the Dio de los Muertos and the celebrations and the, and the, the Halloween sort of earing back to the dead and the loss in all souls and, and all of that kind of makes sense really because it's tying in this pagan idea of a thin veil between time and season and and um, uh, the spirit realm and the earthly realm. It's tying that in with our lives and, and those people that gave themselves and gave their lives 
uh, for a better life, for, for a Christian life. And so I hope that was an interesting little tidbit of information. Uh, I'm happy to to talk about it more. I think it's really cool. I actually think that it could be one of the bigger Christian holidays if we uh, took it back from from the candy cohorts, right? Like the, but um, who knows? So that's that little bit. To transition, uh, let's go ahead and do what we normally do, center ourselves and our intentions. Our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you, our behavior to share you. Glory be to you, God, source of all being, incarnate word and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So this episode, we're talking about Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6 and verses 10 through 17. I'll be reading it from the New Revised Standard Version. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes, my eyes my eye sees you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord has brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring." The Lord blessed the latter and days of Job more than his beginnings, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemimiah, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Kapukah. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations, and Job died old and full of days. The word of the Lord. Okay, so doesn't it just kind of irk you sometimes when you hear about great things happening to good people in the Bible? Now, now I know how that sounds, but hear me out. Okay, so I mean, like when you're when you're waiting on your miracle, when you're waiting in your waters deep, when you're keeping calm and carrying on, and scriptures like this one that I just read, that we just heard here, Job, you know, and and the Lord doubled all of Job's earlier possessions, and his family came and ate with him in his house, and all of that jazz. I'm I'm talking about how when you're waiting for God to deliver to you, and it just hasn't happened yet. Now there are preachers out there who sell good people bad theology by trying to convince us that God is just going to deliver great stuff into our laps. That if we believe in Jesus, we're going to get all the stuff we need and all of our problems will just go away. And it, and it works on our heartstrings because we're all waiting on some kind of miracle of materiality to make our lives better. And we're hoping God will deliver. If God loves us, then, you know, like we're told he does, why wouldn't he want us to be happy to not suffer with bills and all the other things of life? 
And isn't that what the story of Job affirms for us? That no matter how bad it gets, if we just keep our faith through thick and thin, you know, God will deliver us into a great fortune and prosperity. Right? So, like, if if we believe that, wouldn't I ask again, doesn't it just hurt you sometimes when you hear about great things happening to good people in the Bible? Meanwhile, your life is nothing but stress. Because it irks me. Most of the time, I'm happy about, you know, the Bible. But to be honest, I will be quite like I, I would be remiss to say that when life has got me down hearing about how biblical figures get their miracles and I'm still waiting on mine, it just makes me frustrated, makes me angry, makes me self-pitying and sometimes depressed. You know, because I'm like, Jesus, you fed the 5,000. Can't you help me get rid of these school loans? Jesus, you rose a man from the dead. Can't you cure my spouse of their disease or help me have a baby? Jesus, you called 12 apostles into ministry. Can't you help me find a job that's fulfilling and that pays the bills? More than any other book or story in the Bible, no character gains and loses more with seemingly no rhyme or reason than our boy Job. Everywhere else, we are given reasons for fortunes and punishments. You know, we're given rationale for joys and sorrows. But not with Job. Our boy Job, for chapters, for like chapters 2 through 37, he's just suffering and trying to figure it all out. So because... So so let's back it up a little bit and talk about Job in general, right? Because out of all the books in the Bible, this book, this story is perhaps the most folks talesy uh, of them all, right? So let's talk context. There once was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Chapter one, verse one. So side note, if you think that Uz and Oz sound familiar, it should. The writer of The Wizard of Oz got his name uh, idea from Uz. Uh, it's a faraway, mythical-ish place. Now, Uz isn't actually mythical. Uh, not completely. Uz is the first son of Abraham's cousin, Nahor. Uh, and the Bible says that Nahor settled in the land of Mesopotamia between the Euphrates River and the Tigris River. So we think that uh, what the author means by this land of Uz um, like, that's where we think he's talking about. But for all intents and purposes, the writer is essentially saying a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Because for the hearers of this story, the land of Uz could be familiar, but it's definitely distant. It's a story far away, yet somehow connected to their shared history. Um, a descendant of a cousin of Abraham. Uh, and so this place and these people, they're the Israelites' family. They could be our family, right? Job could be you. So we're entering the story at chapter 42, and that means there's a whole bunch that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, and so context to summarize, this non-Israelite named Job is blameless and upright in the sight of God. He's an upstanding guy and he's blessed by God, blessed with great material wealth. Uh, this man's got it. He's got family. He's got land. He's got stuff, right? And then Hasatan, the prosecutor, the adversary, is up in God's royal uh, and divine court and is like, yo, your people only love you because they get stuff from you. 
And now, so Hasatan, right. Who is Hasatan? Is it the devil? Is it that same Satan that we know throughout Christian history? I don't know. Uh, But it is interesting to think about Satan as both a personality and adversarial, a tester rather than just evil, right? It's a foil. Um, And the reason why we wonder is Hasatan, you know, Satan is because Satan in Hebrew means adversary, but Hasatan means the adversary, the prosecutor, right? So this would be the chief adversary in God's royal court who says this, which is why some people begin to wonder if this is, you know, the devil, the Satan that, that throughout Christian history, are these the one and the same? Um, but it's really a foil for the story. It's a foil to say this is how it all gets start, started off, right? And so it, the story goes that the adversary, the prosecutor, Hasatan, is given permission to mess up Job's life. And Job's life gets royally blown up, right? And so by 42, a lot has happened. Job's wife and children have died. His fortune's gone. Uh, he's at his wit's end. And in searching and searching uh, for answers, his friends and colleagues have told him he must have done something to deserve it. And so after much back and forth, God finally decides to give some answers. And so between chapters 38 and 41, God basically just lays the proverbial verbal smackdown on Job. Who are you, he says, you know, to question me? Did you design the universe? Did you design the circle of life? Who are you to think you know my mind? And that's a really, I mean... The story of Job is important for a lot of reasons, and it has a lot of uh, more things to talk about from it. And I am not doing it justice by talking about this one thing from this one section. It's great to to unpack. But this reminder of who are we, right? Who are we to think that we know the mind of God is, is just a deeply profound moment. And so we arrive, you know, at chapter 42, what we've read for today. <clears throat> and it's it's kind of like we're about to talk. It, it, it's kind of like we're talking about Luke Skywalker after he, after he blew up the Death Star, right? Because it's like, have we missed all the good bits, right? I just said that there's so much to talk about, right? I recommend reading this book in the entirety or rereading it. Um, but we haven't missed all of it. Uh, 42 is after God's declarations, right? And so it's the nice bow. We think it's kind of the epilogue, but it's not. Because here in chapter 42, after 41 chapters of reasons to be salty, Job stops fighting back to God. And he actually says, you're right. Who am I to know the will of you, right? I think it's fascinating that in a culture so preoccupied with what men do, and and this is a complete side note, by the way, but I, I have to mention it just out of, uh, I just have to mention this, that in a culture so preoccupied with what men do and who they are, we never know Job's son's names, his first set of sons who then die, nor the ones who were born after, but his three new daughters, we learn of them. And rather than men getting all the inheritance, Job sets up an inheritance for each of his three daughters. Um, and I just wanted to give that shout out to say that it is super rare, especially in scripture for us to, to, um, well, it's not rare in scripture, but it's super rare for us to think about scripture 
as wanting us to know specific things about the empowerment of women. And so um, I just want to highlight here is a really powerful empowerment of women moment that we don't always hear about, or at least I, I don't hear about it. Maybe you do. Um, so, okay, so getting back. So Job is, you know, so in his surrender to the fact that God's plan is completely unknowable, Job finds peace of mind and he regains community. He finds material happiness. Luke, you know, from Luke Skywalker had a good life until the empire arrived at his uncle's door and smote the place. Uh, and then he spent, and then he spent so much time becoming the Jedi Luke Skywalker. Right. And that's to say that both of these stories, the story about Job and the story about Luke, they have this parallel that life will never be without pain and suffering. That there is part of this brokenness and beauty of the human existence. And that it wasn't up to Job and it wasn't up to Luke. Their lives literally just got blown up. But where we find joy, who we blame for our hurts, and how we find meaning in the midst of them is very much under our control. And so I think one of the most powerful lessons I learned from Job is not that good things will happen to me if I have faith. It's that my control over good and bad things can only go so far. And how I choose to make, how I choose to find happiness in my life and how I choose to blame or not blame God for my circumstances makes a huge impact on how much I enjoy my life while I live it. It's easy to... Uh, push God away in our pain. It's harder to God to let God in in the midst of our pain. Job didn't find happiness until he surrendered to never knowing, to giving up control, to choosing ignorance, not out of ineptitude or stupidity or naivete, but wisdom. The story of Job seems to be more about resilience than it does reasoning. Life isn't always logical, and we can't control everything, no matter how good or correctly we do things. Now, for the control freaks of us out there, like me, that's a message that we need to hear. I mean, if we're really asking the question of when are my good days finally going to start happening like they started happening for Job, then the answer partially is when we finally begin to accept the things we can realistically change and make peace with the things we can't. For those of you who are familiar with Thomas Merton's serenity prayer, it's a very strong prayer message that uh, is worth focusing on. Years ago, I heard someone uh, use this phrase called emotional resilience. And for me, it's one of those words that I understand, but didn't really, like it didn't really sink in. And so I love the, the common English Bible translation of Job's words uh, in verses five and six. Uh, chapter 42, verses five and six. My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. I knew of you, but now in seeing you, I am humbled, and that humility gives me peace. That's what those words mean. 
he knew of God. But in finally seeing God and understanding, he was humbled. And that humility gave him peace. And Job said those words before God gave him his happy ever after, his happily ever after. The emotional resilience for Job came with the acceptance of his life in a way that didn't mean he was going to give up. He didn't, he wasn't going to give up. But it meant that he was going to stop blaming God or anyone else. He was going to stop letting anger and pain rule his life. In these short verses and in this story of Job, Right, two points come forward for me that I hope come forward for you. First, like Luke Skywalker, sometimes you have to turn off the targeting scanners to hit the target and blow up the Death Star. Sometimes you have to say, I can't control things and all the little bits about it, and I can't make understandings. Sometimes I just have to go forward and walk the path. Second, Acceptance does not mean defeat. To say that something is does not mean to say that it has beaten you. In these short verses, uh, <laughs> I, have a, I have a colleague who, no matter what you tell him, he responds with the word heard. Like, I heard you. He just says, heard. And it's because rather than internalizing whatever is said to him, he merely affirms and accepts what was given without judgment. And it makes him a better colleague and a happier person. And if you summarized Job's response to God, this chapter 42, these, this little monologue that he gives to God, you know, in verses one through six, it would be that same way with Job saying, okay, God, heard. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Good Theology. To learn more, please find us online at goodtheology.life.